0: Welcome to Learn with Lowell. I'm Lowell, a serial entrepreneur, startup advisor, and your host for the show. Every week we discover and speak with experts, scientists, leaders, and artists. Today we are joined with Alan Perlstein, who is the CEO of California Cultured that seeks to remove slavery and unethical practices from chocolate and coffee through the creation of cellular agriculture derived versions of those products. It's extremely fascinating. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment to show your sport and receive more content like this in the future. Let's stay curious and learn about Allen, California cultured, their chocolate and business in this episode of learn Fall show. Do you, to what extent do you think, um, like the stuff that's happening in Crimea and Russia is motivating the U S FDA to be a little bit more open to alternative food sources, since, you know, I think it's like 20 to 30% of world food is now kind of out the window right now. Not even talking about like, uh, uh, fertilizers and everything else like It's going to be pretty bad. Do you think that at all is impacting maybe a, a quicker, quicker change in FDA guidelines with the, the type of stuff that you're making?
1: It's, it's affecting, we think, the FDA, the EU, uh, African and Asian regulatory policies uh, quite a bit. Um, the biggest one was uh, in, in Africa. We're starting to see some of those pressures increase quite a bit, specifically in Kenya, has just sort of um, uh, allowed some first and second gen gmo crops to be grown there since the amount of fertilizer that kenya usually gets uh mostly comes from the ukrainian and russian regions so since they're going to have such a uh, a lack of supply in the upcoming years they're trying to uh allow new seeds and growing methods that would hopefully decrease the needs for the most expensive uh, fertilizers right Right now that are are important to them.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, it's like, I don't know what Russia was thinking where it's like, oh, we could do this real quick thing and the things will snap back. I, I don't think the world will go back to the way it was because you you go from like a partner that's maybe not stable to like other ways of doing things that are more locally you know supply like i think a lot of people are like moving manufacturing to like mexico and stuff like that so if it's closer there's less steps the involved like that's i mean all from like a business standpoint that sounds like a better thing to do because it's, it's cost savings from like a climate standpoint it sounds like a great thing to do because um i mean there's less emissions if you're not like ping-ponging all around the board but yeah i, I didn't i didn't know about kenya but it sounds like you know gmo less uh fertilizer i mean with 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 like 20 30 percent and that's just a uh, that's the u.s imports 20 30 percent from the from uh russia Bel- belarus russia and belarus 20 to 30 percent just from those two i was reading about that today so I, I think it's smart stuff to be utilizing this technology to make it so that we don't have you know famines and like kind of re go back the last 50 years how many people are no longer poor how many people are no longer um hungry as much and to, I want I want that number to go s- smaller, not, not bigger, because stuff like this. So hopefully it makes us more versatile over time.
1: I definitely agree uh, that it's going to make us a lot more resilient, uh, reduce, um, you know, obviously the CO2 and methane emissions that are uh, constantly skyrocketing, obviously from the amounts of foods and ingredients traveling all over the world, is, is being seen as, as a major driver of pollution. And many, and many uh, countries and corporates are starting to see that it's not good policy to have these really uh, long and delicate supply chains as these fundamental links are starting to snap. And we think that they uh, uh, going to be damaged most likely for the next decade to two decades, uh, as the world's supply system is most likely going to realign itself.
0: Yeah, I was reading uh, recently that there's there's some policy people who think that globalism is about to have a retreat, like uh, like, the, like a U.S. led globalism is going to like retreat a little bit, and, um, and it's not going to look good because i think people take for granted what like the u.s has done for like making it so that people can trade with whomever they want like that's not a normal thing that happens normally you need like a navy like even when britain was a, a world power they just made it so that people like the, the, the honey only flowed to them the u.s just makes it so people can trade with each other granted i'm sure we have trade deals that benefit us because of it but there is an element of like you know kenny can trade with other people because of it i'm i'm curious um oh, that's gonna shake out are, do, you, do you have thoughts on that are you like into like i'm sure it's like maybe just about food but i'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh yeah, I I I do. It it is uh uh going to be a very rapidly changing world um over the next over the next 15 years. Um uh the, you know obviously for the US supporting you know, uh uh global trade on the back of of its taxpayers, uh on the hope that bringing more global trade to some of these uh, more difficult to work with countries such as China and Russia have unfortunately not worked out in the way that it has worked out for many countries in Africa, South America, Europe, India, and other parts of Asia as well. So for all its successes, maybe a couple of noticeable um, failures And now that the U.S. has basically seen that uh, uh, what the next steps are, where many countries are trying to have their own internal supply, uh, their own internal fuel, as well as new trading links, and understanding that uh, the U.S. has supported some measures, Uh, which hurt other measures of U.S. businesses is not necessarily the track we're on. We need to sort of rebuild uh, many fundamental uh, business sectors. And we honestly see a lot of opportunities in that. How could we have more cleaner uh, uh, mineral supply, more cleaner fertilizer, using more biomanufacturing? That's why... um, I think the Biden administration pushed so much on uh, cell culture meat and the uh, biomanufacturing tactics. Uh, Even the US government over the last uh, year and a half also saw this and they launched a program called BioMADE. So where many different core supplies were uh, mined or extracted from all over the world and being sold to United States companies, eventually to consumers uh the government has sort of seen we have to start manufacturing a lot of things locally uh that that we used to manufacture and everything from from uh trade deals with other countries such as Japan and Mexico to more maybe aggressive blocking what's happening now in China and Russia and a refocus on on funding some entrepreneurs and and important technologies closer to home seems to be uh on target of, of a re uh, the new global economy or the new global supply chains. So we definitely think uh it's changing and it's changing much more rapidly than was predicted. So uh we, we definitely agree that it it is uh almost the unshackling. Of the, of the last century's uh, supply chains and maybe a new building of some of the ways it used to be uh, maybe in the 1920s and 30s, but more advanced technology and the know-how and everything else is spread all over the world. So uh, we're very excited uh, about rebuilding these industries in a much, much better way and I think that's sort of the major theme of of why I started my company as well as my previous companies and, and the work that I've been doing over the course of my career.
0: Yeah, and I think to echo one point that you made there in particular is that we made compromises with other countries. And I think it was late to mid nineties, it was after the, the the wall fell where people started realizing that they could offshore production to places that don't have uh labor regulation that we had that you don't have to yeah. treat them that way and that's one of the things that when i was learning about you you know it's like completely eliminating the potential for any any people ens- enslaved any people who are in indentured servitude in, in any way like that uh from i, I don't think I, I would like it to if it was possible so that none of that could ever touch anything that came into american hands because if or just you know obviously none of it in general but like the idea that uh we're subsidizing that development in in a sense of like we could be building it locally and then making it so that people can immigrate over and then get you know 401ks and health insurance and all these different things in America instead they're left in these areas where it's like squalid um they're literally enslaved and the result is like we satiate our sweet tooth and it's like of all the things to make that sacrifice for to encourage to allow slavery to continue is is, is pretty, you know, heinous. And so I, I'm a big, I'm really excited to talk about your technology, what you got going on. Because if, if we could just, there was a time where like slavery was like a given, and we've slowly been like, no, it's wrong, no, it's wrong, no, it's wrong, no, it's wrong. And now it's like, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's wrong, but like, hey, profits. <laughs> and now it's like, maybe we can get to the point where it's just completely eliminated. And it can just be one of those things that we learn about from history, and we, and we try not to go back to. Um, yeah, I, I'm a, I love your technology just from that alone and raising awareness, awareness of the fact that, like, I don't think people realize that when you're eating chocolate, I don't even know the numbers. Like, how, what, as a percentage, if I go down the chocolate aisle, how much of that is, is touched by slavery?
1: Uh, in, different, in different ways, it's touched yeah. by slavery. Um, the thing is that the vast majority of chocolate companies and uh, uh, big and small know about these issues. Uh, many of them have been using lots of uh, uh, chocolate that they may be bought in bulk from a supplier. And from the, that bulk supplier, you have great ethical chocolate, organic chocolate, fair trade chocolate, everything sort of getting mixed together in mm. in some of these streams. And it gets really hard to, t- to pull it apart. Uh, mm. But in essence... The vast majority of the chocolate or bulk chocolate that you find today comes from from thousands of of farmers in Africa that they're producing uh, everywhere from a couple of, 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 of tons to giant amounts. And it gets processed and spread all over the world. And it's really hard to tell. Uh, where it comes from, unless you're borrowing like a single origin bean from a specific farm, unless they specifically say so. But it, it's really hard to uh, to, uh, to figure that out unless it, it specifically says on the label, oh, this came from a, a farm in, in, in maybe Ecuador or a small farm in, in Madagascar or something like that. Where you could basically see where it comes from, who's doing it. Uh, That seems to be the best benefit, but that's also coming at a premium. And many people really can't afford that, or many companies can't afford to sell that chocolate as well. So many companies want to have more sustainable and more ethical sources, but just the systems and the processes that of how these, uh, how chocolate flows and coffee flows to us. It's really sometimes hard to pull it apart, especially if it's coming from Africa or some places from from South America and Brazil as well.
0: What is the what is the unit of measure when we talk about coffee and chocolate? Is it like, you know, X per kilo kilo? You know, is it X per yeah. ton, X per kilogram? So, like how do- Yeah.
1: So um, we basically would be using a uh, kilogram or hmm. or ton or kiloton when it comes specifically with chocolate, um, how we like to maybe talk about for coffee, it's most more, more like cups or hmm. uh, how many servings, servings of coffee it goes to, because when, when, when it comes with chocolate, because you have everything from coverture, like a very slim coating on like, on like a candy bar or where it has dozens of ingredients to like a solid chocolate bar. But in essence, when it comes with like a cup of coffee, you maybe have a couple grams of, of, of ground beans. And that's, mm. that's a pretty uh roughly across, across the bar. Everyone has a similar amount of beans with some milk and sugar or something else. So that's how we think it's, it gets to be somewhat relatable to people.
0: Yeah. And um, so what is, just in terms of inputs to then manufacture to something that a consumer can buy, what is what is the cost of traditional coffee? And then, I mean, I'm obviously blended it down because there's like so many different types, but what's the average for traditional? And then like, what is the hope for where you think your cost will be?
1: So um, I, I would basically, let, let's let start with commodity uh, products mm-hmm. and prices. Um, they are the largest amount uh, of chocolate and coffee currently being produced on the planet. Uh, they usually are focused more on price more than anything else. Uh, it's more like a whole bunch of low quality to, to rotten, to raw, to raw, to a whole bunch of beans basically enter these systems. So uh, that's the commodity system. It ranges right now on the bottom from two to four dollars, depending on the time of year and the process. But that's sort of where the bulk of of, of products usually are. That's where you would find coatings, flavors, and thousands of different places that you would encounter coffee and chocolate every single day. And that's what's being traded on on the, the large exchanges globally and that is where most of the deforestation and and the major ethical slavery and pollution problems are happening more than uh, the higher priced versions.
0: Mm-hmm. Then yours would be like comparable or is it do you expect it to be cheaper or like uh, how's that um, I mean I don't think you're at yeah. the point to really know Uh, at scale but just like what is what do you expect it to be
1: so uh we're basically looking to launch our products close to sort of the premium in the beginning Mm -hmm. as as well uh uh, during the time where we could refine our process refine our technology and to make sure we don't lose money on the beginning processes that we put in but we see a path and our big vision is to uh, disincentivize slavery. So our ultimate path is to eventually displace some large amounts of these commodity products over time. Uh, our first vision is to start within some premium products, some unique products that would be impossible for people to taste or experience in first in the first place. Um, and that's sort of what we're able to do today. Uh, but as we lower the cost of producing this, have better data, have more, uh, uh, we would say more mainstream traditional flavors where the flavor of chocolate and coffee are uh, und- basically similar across, across our lines, then that would be the time that we can sell it or closer to to what all consumers can eventually afford. Um, and that's basically where we see ourselves moving over time.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Is it do those numbers, are they like the aggregate numbers so they include shipping costs to get like the two to four, does that include shipping costs or is that like in addition to shipping costs?
1: Uh, That would usually be for shipping costs, and uh, a lot of this is subsidized in different ways from different countries, uh, from different groups. Lots of these prices uh, were negotiated well, well in advance, uh, and many people, as you can imagine, lose huge amounts of money if they didn't time fertilizer prices, oil prices, shipping prices, loss prices correctly and a lot of people make massive fortunes and lose massive fortunes uh basically betting on what the future of chocolate, coffee and all these other commodities uh will be like since it takes such a long time right now to go from bean to finished bean t- through all the ports and 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 many different hands to port to go to go to the industrial chocolate grinders in in uh, uh, in the Americas and Europe as well. So there's a very long, complex, and difficult to predict supply chain.
0: Yeah, I imagine uh, they're going to love you for that because, like, you know, it's a little bit more stable. I, I don't for for inputs. I don't think there's what would you need i i think i believe you're going to build in america or grow in america so then is there anything that america doesn't produce that you would need to make your product so it's all kind of I, like locally sourced in some ways
1: everything we're we're yeah. focusing on on um on a couple of different carbon sources we think the future you have to have some aspects of uh, flexibility of where you could source some of these things from if you lock yourself into potentially one one carbon source and the price of the carbon sh- source sh- shoots through the roof you're shooting yourself in the foot so we're yeah. trying to build in some um redundancy of where we could get these these sources so it's primary primarily a sugar it could come from corn it could come from beet it could come from um traditional cane it could come from uh, starch as well so there are some places where we can source our carbon. There's other places where we also use plant hormones and basically plant hormones are found in today's food supply. You can find them in everything from coconut, tomato, rice, uh, potato and other very large industrial food groups that are being grown as well. So we can basically uh, utilize different versions of, of of carbon and and these different plant hormones or plant instructions to feed ourselves.
0: If, if it's beet, corn, starch, like a potato, I imagine, or something, does it at all affect the end result of, of flavor or does the process of turning it into something you can use basically de uh, tasteify it, you know, textify it, there, or whatever it would be. The there word. are
1: different... Steps and different processes of of how the cell lines get made, and and sort of understanding of how to pre-process some of this carbon that that basically makes them happy. Um, we're, 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 uh, overall, you could sort of change the diet of some of these things over time, and you and you could play around with some of these variables, but in essence. You're, you're, we're trying to both make sure that the the growth kinetics uh, can reach their maximum. So that means we're not losing money while growing them, making sure that the flavors and these bioactive compounds, it, it's sort of complex when it comes with flavor, because you have yeah. these organelles in the cell that make these compounds that that basically could be from everything from defense to to building up some internal mechanism. But when we apply different microbes, roasting or grinding steps, these proteins and complex flavors sort of uh, uh, evolve into the flavors we know and love. For instance, there is a transport protein. uh, Once it gets broken down in cocoa, that, that releases many of the characteristic cocoa notes that we know and love. So uh, by tracking that throughout the entire process, we could understand if the cells like it or not, and if we could hit our right flavors or not.
0: Is there... I recently had someone from Ginkgo Bioworks on, so I'm now like kind of, in my head, I kind of compare similar processes. Um, Do you have any intentionality in building kind of like a brain bank, like a data bank for like what works, what doesn't work? And then you can do like analysis off it to like um, make that like an entrenched piece of your IP where no one else could replicate that, like you're you're learning from what you do?
1: Yeah, the the platform model is something that we're uh, 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 focusing on quite a bit. Uh, we basically see the, the technology that we're using for cocoa and coffee uh, are almost interchangeable in many different parts, but we could mm-hmm. see it being used for other uh, valuable plant tissues, fats, bioactives that, that, that we know and love but are very difficult to produce and source. Uh, we basically believe that this technology... Has uh, a a very large potential of what it could recreate from f- fabrics to materials to cosmetics to pharmaceuticals to to furniture uh, and and art supplies. It, it, it's uh, it's unlimited. We think the applications of what of what you could grow with this. So we think it's pretty important to capture this data of understanding, you know, as as you said, what works, what doesn't work, uh, what lessons can we take, since we don't want to repeat things if we know it doesn't work. And and that's, in essence, what we're trying to do, run as as many small experiments as possible. Oh, uh, with this type of recipe, it, it tends to grow a little bit better. Let's write it down versus versus oh we find something weird happening downstream that we didn't expect so hmm. trying to learn these lessons and cap and capturing them is the only way for us to scale successfully as a company and potentially apply the lessons we're learning in chocolate and coffee for other uh, other species potentially as well
0: um okay so i think Hopefully, other people have been listening so far. Like this is like not their first time, but at the same time, you know, maybe you don't know anything about Sarah culture. So, so roughly, what happens is there's like a substrate, there's an environment, uh, there is a material. I'm trying to think like how would I, you know, say this so I can like have you like basically hate this? How we're different. (laughs) Um, So there's like there's a substrate, uh, there's an environment, petri dish or like a a uh, uh, bioman, uh bio foundry like a reactor or a tank thank yeah. you <laughs> thank you because <laughs> my tongue was getting stuck and uh and then uh there's like some type of like a growth accelerant usually for like human uh for not human cells for uh animal protein it's yeah. uh, he, uh bovine serum um, yep. what does that look like for yours because not only do you you know, have a substrate, not only do you have an environment, not only do you like it kind of mirrors that, but you also are able to have like something that's bean like enough where you can roast it at the end. So it's not just like, like with, with plant uh, with uh, animal protein, it's like they're they trying to replicate the texture, but it doesn't, it's like how, how close can you replicate it versus it's the same thing where like if you're able to roast it and have like the same type of flavor profiles of coffee, I feel like that's, that's more of a one-to-one in my mind. Maybe like some chemists out there's like, no, those the are the same, but like, how, how is yours different? Like, how does it, how does it just like in the stages um, compared to normal cell agriculture? And at the same time, if I said something am wrong, please correct. Cause there's people <laughs> maybe this is the first time.
1: No, I, I think you, you've definitely got, got the, the gist of it. There is mm-hmm. uh, basically food. Uh, where, where the cells live, they're, it's basically the food and the environment and the ways of how you selected the cell. So it's the potential from the cell, once they've mm-hmm. eaten enough food and they're happy or stressed enough in the environment, and that's sort of this weird thing, there are certain times you want the cells to be happy, and there's very certain times that you want the cells to be really unhappy. So when the cells are unhappy, they can produce really interesting things. Mm. Uh, uh, but when they're happy, they tend to grow and divide as well. So you want them to grow and divide by making them really happy, and then at a certain time, you want to make them really unhappy as well. So it it it's this. Uh, it's a similar process for both cell cultured meat fermentation technology and. And even our, our process as well.
0: The, um, do you, for the cells and if you can't like get this deal, you, this is fine. But, um, the cells that you take is from the plant or like the seed itself and you're replicating the seed that then goes through this process, if that makes sense. Like,
1: so it depends of what you want to make mm-hmm. and, uh, and in essence of how long you want it, uh, it's going to take. Uh, and as well, there's some deeper, deeper, uh, questions as well, but in essence, you could take a cutting from any part of a, a plant and with enough time and effort, you're able to turn that or descendants of that tissue into any other part of a plant from being to leaf, to stalk, to stem, to root anything over time, ta- over enough generations, um, mm. There is, are some. Uh, there, there is some questions also about that. It's, it's sort of honestly saying, uh, is it really a bean? If you're taking from a leaf, or you're taking from a root, or you're taking from here, or, or also there's a question: is how long does it actually take to get into your um, uh, uh, material of question? what's also the genetic drift because sometimes if you're getting like a leaf to turn into a bean you're still having some leaf genes Mm -hmm. semi-activated so you have to figure out how to knock them down or cut them out Uh, but the 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 tissue has a propensity sometimes to want to turn them back on again so uh, usually the closer you are maybe to where you're what you want to go is better but some people are saying it doesn't matter so there it, it's this weird almost philosophy and 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 other aspects of science that are still being discussed um and and under and uh still trying to be figured out
0: Where um do you guys have like a small like cocoa plant or a coffee plant like to, to grow the things or do you just source like the DNA, the cuttings from a person?
1: We we do both. So yeah. we think it's very important to have always a supply of our plants we're growing. It's uh, once you sort of take out all the plants, it's sort of you you forget also where you come from. And uh, it's always great to to sort of, you know, see that transition, they could go from one single plant, one single bean into literally a, a, a river of, of chocolate and, and understanding that process is is also wild. Uh, but, but we like to have some of our original cuttings, plants uh, still there um, just as, as a place to sort of unwind, You always want sometimes to go to a room with lots of plants, lots of things growing just to to brighten your mood. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, that's that's sort of going to be our plant room in our new headquarters that we're planning to move into uh, before the end of the year.
0: Uh, Do you have to take new cuttings of the original plant or do you take cuttings of cuttings of cuttings,
1: kind of like copies of copies of copies? Th- so that's, that's basically um, uh, what what we, we could do. We could go multiple ways. We could go everything from tissue or cuttings of cuttings. In essence, when you're basically uh, go, going through cell selection, it, it is basically cuttings through cuttings. It's, hmm. oh, you take a cell, you put it on on a plate. You have all these maybe different parts of the cell. Then you chop them up, separate them, different conditions, and that that is sort of an ongoing process. So we're, we are trying to make this ultimate uh, uh, cell that does everything we want it to to eventually do. And and for instance, maybe maybe speaking on the broader or even the larger world as as how it relates to that. Um, almost all coffee grown in like uh all of south america uh uh there's a, there's like mythology that all of it came from a single plant that was uh smuggled out of france to martinique from the from the the king's uh royal garden by one of his uh, uh mistresses to to this to this uh, French officer and that's how lots of uh, 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 coffee got to uh, the Americas and from there uh, it got stolen and then shifted and then stolen again and shifted and uh, that was sort of the trend of coffee for quite a bit and and also, Uh, From chocolate, it's sort of the opposite. So it comes from Mexico, South America originally, uh, and uh, started to get mass produced in Africa from some stolen beans. It was sort of a a secret um, about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Similar to to how coffee beans were first traded and also kept uh, highly prized for basically hundreds of years uh, before they were were going to be grown in other places
0: yeah, i think uh chocolate also was like i think it was reserved for royalty and it was like very bitter like it wasn't like the chocolate today
1: or quite spoiled yeah. in terms of the sweetness of what we get today back then it was oh, like uh yeah, yeah weird in the beginnings of chocolate and coffee for hundreds of years it was basically just taken out of the fruit smushed up in a in, in one of the versions of uh, a mortar and pestle or, uh, or mochahete, if you want, from Mexico or different instruments to mash it up, add some water or sometimes hot liquid. And that's basically what it was for both coffee and chocolate. It took lots of accidents, um, processes for, for uh, uh, understanding what uh, to ferment it, to grind it, to roast it. To add in milk, to add in sugar, add in the right types of how to filter it or not. There are there is basically maybe every hundred years there was an additional uh, 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 evolution of chocolate and coffee uh, from what it was to what it is today, and and literally even for for hundreds of years, just for instance, coffee uh, most of it was never really drunk from the taste. Um, I think almost to to the eighteen hundreds, uh, it was it was usually pretty bad tasting.
0: Yeah, most coffee now I still think is kind of <laughs> like Starbucks coffee isn't exactly the best coffee. I don't know. So I, I look forward to something like what you guys can do, being out there, which can be such a, a better quality, so people can actually enjoy. I, I hear this a lot. Like like fast food coffee doesn't taste. Like anything compared to actually good coffee, um, no, I, I have not tasted. You know, I have not a and b tested this to, to know the difference. But I, I'm told that like the the quality of like you can, there's a quality of difference between the two.
1: There, there is. It has to do with um, the cleanliness of it. It's the mouth mm. feel. It's it's some of the oils and compounds are really desirable. Yeah, um, and when it comes also to fast food coffee, it's uh, the goal is to be cheap and and to basically taste good so milk sugar you get your caffeine hit and out the door uh uh and that's usually what it was for for quite a while and most people just drank coffee for just uh the drug the great drugs it has inside of it uh and uh um uh, was it michael pollen um, likes to say that caffeine it was you know one of the most important drugs for the building of western civilization of what mm-hmm. what built our world and a lot of people don't really care for the taste they just want that functionality and it's still and it's still a very important part for many people's lives to get that hit of fun- of of being awake uh and the quality is never is probably not going to be the focus i think it's going to be price it's going to be taste and maybe even carbon or or ethical source processes later. And eventually we see uh, there might be a lot more interesting varietals uh, coming out later. Like um, I think when it comes with fast food coffee, there's like some very large players in the field that are known for, for making like uh, their coffee to go and they have lots of fans. But in essence, it's a it's a simple flavor that they have lots of uh, big fans by, and they found out they can make it relatively inexpensive and make a ton of it. Uh, but we think eventually uh, consumers are starting to look for more ethical and and better, higher quality uh, coffee and ingredients, and they're willing to pay for it with, with sort of the, the spring of third and fourth gen coffee purveyors and newer, obsessiveness with coffee and, and, and its flavor.
0: Is it possible to hybridize coffee and chocolate to make like Choco coffee?
1: Uh, maybe uh, we've, we've seen some hybrids of coffee trees where people could sort of meld them together, but they're very different species as well. Uh, we haven't really seen any information upon that. But at the end of the day, um, we have to remember uh, coffee, it it grows uh, also as a fruit, and uh, it also grows at different times of the year, and it ripens at different times of the year. And chocolate also could ripen and grow at different times of the year. So instead of not necessarily harvesting everything from a, a, a tree or plant, you have to uh, like one day something uh, you might have like one fruit or 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 two pods. The next day you might have twenty or you might have one, one or none. So there's all this, uh, uh,, you basically have to check it every single day to harvest it. So there there there's a lot of issues uh on its productivity as a plant that makes it really hard to mass produce, and it still requires, an incredibly large amount of of labor to grow high quality coffee and chocolate. Lots of the lower quality uh, coffees are basically machine harvested in large industrial sections and usually sprayed with um, pesticides, fungicides. And there's a lot of clear cutting to make it uh, viable, and and that's in essence what's out there. Um, uh, uh, I don't know about hybrid. Co- uh, uh, these trees very different to pollinate, very different to grow, slightly different growing conditions. Uh, but they grow in, in the in a similar area. There are many farms in Africa and South America that both grow coffee and chocolate side by side, uh, and and they could use some benefits. It's actually beneficial to grow both of them together uh, uh, as as sort of an agricultural uh, process. Uh, but eventually what we're what we're looking to do is maybe have more chocolatey, uh, chocolatey flavored coffee and more or even super caffeinated chocolate or also completely decaffeinated chocolate as well. So Mm -hmm. there's more deeper, deeper thoughts that we have in terms of flavor or functionality as, as a product where we could actually play around with those capabilities, which would be very difficult to almost impossible to, to grow these crops.
0: Yeah. I think there's a a lot of really uh, undervalued uh, 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 benefits to using cellular agriculture related techniques because, um, it's, there's no growing season anymore you can grow it 24 7 i mean i mean granted there's people and stuff that have to work it but you can grow it all year round uh, you don't have to grow it around the equator anymore so you could grow it up in you know antarctica if you wanted uh which would probably be really nice to the antarctic people and um well uh if there's uh, disease uh, and stuff well, what, well no? that,
1: yeah that yeah i just want to jump in there like uh uh you mentioned antarctic but it's it's i think it's the thins and Finland is the highest uh, per capita consumer of coffee. And like, and, and you're, 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 you're right. Uh, because of their living. So, so North, uh, they only have, uh, they have a, an amazing summer with the sunsets at midnight, but in the winter uh, they barely have any light most of the year. So mm. they really need their coffee. And if you could grow it uh, basically locally, domestically, in these areas using more uh, uh, local feedstocks. Uh, we think it can, it could be a pretty interesting and compelling story that they don't have to ship it from around the world and they can make the the varietals that speak best to the local populations that work better for specific flavors or berries or moods or even bioactive properties that, m- that might be that might be desirable for specific populations as well
0: yeah i think um you also can like see it happening too i i was also wondering if um like how far (laughs) i keep using like this turtle metaphor when i make when i ask questions and i don't like someone used to write in and tell me to stop if they hate it so if you if you if like if the turtle is you know chocolate or coffee and you're making it in your factory could you, how many turtles underneath that turtle and above that turtle could you stack? Well, I guess not above it, but below it, in terms of like, could you also make cellular agriculture like carbon thing? So like you had like, just like a closed circle factory where on one end you had like a cellular agriculture equivalent of like starch being made, and then it gets fed into your system and then it gets like, it outputs with, you know, a completely, you know, sustainable thing. Is that like, like how far down could you go with turtles? I guess, <laughs> using that as a metaphor.
1: You, uh... There is a question on the viability of that. Um, that is something I would love to build and 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 to test, but that in itself is going to require quite a bit of time to really figure out. Uh, yeah. We think, but it's possible. There is really nothing in science that we've seen that says, oh, you can't necessarily make it that way um, uh we think, for instance, between carbon and hydrogen, you could go pretty far by sucking out, up CO2, but there might be some uh, other compounds, for instance, um you know, phosphorus, nitrogen, uh f- actually more of the, of the elements MPKs that mm-hmm. that uh, we would have to source and find. There might be some areas from that, where we can basically grow or harvest from the air, but but there, there needs to be uh, quite a bit of, of some of these missing elements to also grow the tissue. So that might be maybe the limiting factor, like, um, you know, phosphorus, potassium uh, type inputs might be important, but we don't know since we haven't really seen that many papers describe anything as a closed loop system. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even maybe the most simplistic systems today, which are trying to use the O2 to convert CO, uh, 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 to convert air into uh, protein and other products, you still need some inputs. So it's gonna be uh, a similar issue and problem, that many companies are looking to figure out so can you pu- can you pull in these things from air can you have organisms generate it or do you actually literally still have to mine it um these are some questions w- w- we we are thinking about and we're we're also looking as uh in interest in the field of who's who's looking to push that technology forward we think that might be a great thing from either NASA or university type spinouts could do, um, or if there's any interesting company that that has quite a bit of extra capital to invest, uh, we think in this, uh, it may be a a, te- a technology stack that gets you as close as possible to something that's replicating a a, a replicator. I I would assume that, and that mm. sort of that 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 concept. Um, was it like? Call a protein synthesizer, or yeah, hmm.
0: Star Trek, right? Just to make sure we're we're talking to the right. Yep, the yep,
1: yep. There's
0: we're, a we're yeah yeah we we, we there's we a Stargate have and, uh, replicator <laughs> as well, but it's yeah. evil.
1: Yeah, different 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 re- uh, replicators for for different things, but it, in in essence, it's trying to strip the fundamental units of atoms into building new things, and we're we're. We're very far away from that. The only thing we could do is maybe have tissues grow in the right way and keep them stored. Mm. You could have some basic building blocks there and put them together. but we but we're but we see the ability to grow these tissues, compounds, and flavors as something that's been maybe on the edge of science fiction for a very long time. And many of these other technologies basically uh, put the Jenga bricks all together. Where we first, it looked like a big piece of cheese of so many missing parts. But now, you know, in 2023, okay, we know the reactors, we see some validation, we see consumer acceptance, we see regulatory traction. We see uh, every single government is already putting on rules for subculture meat fermentation. We see global uh, uh, giant movements of, as we t- talked about earlier, of globalization versus local production, uh, 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 rapid uh, uh, focus on grabbing some fertilizer stocks and commodities as well, which is also happening and seeing maybe the desire to not have incredibly complex supply chains sort of rapidly fall on people's head and understanding Mm -hmm. how countries are going to trade and work with each other in the future and putting that all together is sort of our own unique cocktail of how how we see ourselves uh, growing this and understanding what, technologies that we could build in the future as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, America has such a hit, uh, history with agriculture. Before we were even like a big country, we were such a exporter of agriculture goods and we used it to like, you know, get favorable deals and stuff like that. Um, usually when you're having a, an excess, they can trade to other people, you know, things come your way that you enjoy. Um, so I, I think it's something that people don't uh, either know about or they don't talk about all that much is that. I think for every one farmer in the United States, like they feed like 150 to 200 people around the world. It's so like we, we feed everyone here. Well, we have the capacity to feed everyone here. Everyone doesn't get fed because money stuff, but then, uh, we still have like the capacity to like go out and like feed all these other from people. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited for more technology like this coming here and, uh, you know, increasing that number to the point where it's like for every one person working in agriculture. And I um, maybe we can feed like a thousand people or ten thousand people, and like we get to the point where like everyone on the planet uh, it, has all of the nutrient stuff that
1: they need. We we agree, and we we definitely see the advancements of efficiency um, that really allowed America to be a global exporter and powerhouse are still there. Um, but we're basically focusing on the next steps of efficiencies. Can you make yeah. it even better? Can you not necessarily need to exploit people or animals yeah. or, or land to get these economic or efficiency gains? You know, it's a lot more efficient to have giant feedlots or giant industrialization. But then you're thinking about, okay, that means you have then huge amounts of land get deforestated, huge amounts of waste huge streams, and huge amounts of pollution get generated. They all don't get distributed or reabsorbed by the environment as easily as they can, but the process in its entirety becomes more efficient. And, and that was sort of the the push of industry for quite a while. And, and hopefully with the push from consumers, the push from NGOs, and, and many governments are saying, okay, how could we be uh, efficient, but also uh, have better processes in place that we could actually use the land after, that we don't have to burn these things because it's so, uh, the, the pollution is just so immense or, uh, or or some of these bigger issues which are happening. And, and maybe speaking about efficiency, um, I don't know if you've seen about the large uh, pig buildings that were being constructed China? yeah so they were disturbing. focusing on yeah it is pretty disturbing and they were focused on the efficiency and it, it could potentially be pretty efficient since you're having everything in one building but then again you you are you are looking at it as the amount of pollution coming out of it is is quite a quite a lot the amount of just like suffering that many animals would never ever see light or smell air or anything is also disturbing. And also the process of how they're basically what type of lives they have is also difficult. So can you actually compress the efficiency or make it more efficient, but without these, these horrible and destructive practices? But, uh, but then again, the reason they built out these facilities, why? Is because they were worried about pig flu and, and these other things that uh, I think devastated almost global uh, uh, porcine production in the last couple of years where many countries had to kill uh, tens of millions of pigs because there was an outbreak of swine flu. And now we also had an outbreak of, of bird flu and that's why we also now have a, a massive uh, egg shortage. So mm-hmm. we see these things happening more and more often where the disease outbreaks are going to uh, occur in pigs and chickens and cows and many other animals that people eat. Uh, there are companies that are looking to be a lot more efficient than that. But but we think eventually the ultimate efficiency at scale and once these technologies will be uh, at full production will be cell culture.
0: Yeah, I think that we've started to reach the peak in terms of what we can do with traditional farming and uh, when you and I think a byproduct of that like you're saying is the increase in the decrease in quality and the increase in in, um, virulent diseases coming out because they're so packed together it's like you're just asking for if like all day long we were a foot away from each other and just kept coughing in each other's mouths eventually we're gonna get a disease from this but like that just makes exactly sense. um so i think uh this type of technology and I, I look forward to like the ranchers and all these people who are in agriculture being a part of the trend to change it because I, every farmer i know cares about their animal their animals that they raise so if they can go from not needing to have like ten thousand animals to just like 100 they could spend a lot of time and energy into really give them the best care they can they're gonna make that trade and they're going to be a part of making it so that, you know, they set up a microbrewery in their local community and stuff like that because um, they care about their animals. They don't want this type of stuff. They hate that type of stuff. I, I don't know a farmer that if they saw another farmer like beat an animal wouldn't like get in their face about it. Like they they hate that stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, it's a it's a, it's a component that I don't think I hear too many farmers talking about. Maybe they're just like too like the suicide rates for farmers is pretty extreme. Like they're very stressed out people. Um, they're like uh, veterans and. Uh, doctors in that way. So um, I love, I look forward to seeing them kind of like come up as they see how it's not like displacing them, but it's like working together to make it better for the animals, better for them and better for everyone else at the same time.
1: At, at the end of the day, people don't want giant, uh, giant, empty, low value things being made. Many people want a, a concentration of land, of people, of processes, usually under yeah. under one, 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 one roof or one way of doing it. Uh, but we basically see in our vision, of, in our vision is going to be farmers are going to be producing uh, from animals, but they're going to have much higher quality and, yeah. and sell for much higher value. And the crops that they could produce be used in, in, different, uh, in different industrial uh, systems as well. We think, as as you said, of local agriculture, local local food, and to uh, to supply these 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 systems is something that we think is going to be inevitable uh, uh, going forward.
0: So, um, and I don't, know, I like we don't have to the extent we have the math on this. I'm curious, uh, maybe just like you can give me like a guess, but how many acres do you need of you know coffee or you know, the chocolate type plants to produce like X type of result. And then like, what type of factor do you need to make the uh, equivalent amount? And I'm sure like you're, you're working with that with your new HQ and like building this out. But uh, I'm curious, like what would, what would one expect the exchange to look like as you make the transition? You know, for every one acre, it's like, you know, 10 feet of square. I don't know, like, I'm making up numbers now, but what would that look like?
1: Yeah, so um, we are still trying to calculate mm-hmm the specific acres because it sort of differs different places you go to um, and different countries and different technologies. For instance, in the Ivory Coast, uh, in some places it could be really high and other places super, super low. So uh, we see a wide variety of acres, but uh, one of the numbers that we basically think that we could basically uh, uh, talk about, discuss, Whereas um, a a a facility that's approximately a hundred thousand square feet can can basically uh, uh uh produce the equivalent of of a percent of the world's uh total supply, so yeah. roughly with within those characteristics. Uh, and that footprint, you can have a very, very large amount of, of, of products being produced.
0: Where, um, I think you said you have a new HQ, but are you, is that also having a production facility there? Or are you looking to build one of those somewhere else?
1: Yeah. So we are in the process of building out our HQ and pilot plant in Mm -hmm. West Sacramento today. So um, we were very focused on making sure that we could be close to a major food hub, which Sacramento is. It has a lot of ports, travel, uh, shipping, trains, and lots of food basically flows through uh, West Sacramento. Uh, There also tends to be uh, quite a, a... a number of of people within the industry around us as well. Uh, And we also have people that are knowledgeable about uh, not only coffee and chocolate, but figuring out how to scale up. So we see that we're in the right location and we think within our current facilities that we're building out, uh, we can produce uh, a significant amount of prototypes technology and processes that would eventually be going uh, uh, into uh, our demonstration plant uh, which we can eventually produce a significant amount of 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 chocolate and coffee from so it's going to be important to build out our our current factory to eventually to get to that that larger factory in the next couple of years
0: is there to, and if this is like a secret thing that you guys want to keep to yourselves, you, you don't have to answer. But what are the chances, you know, just in statistics, that there's going to be just like a like a pipe with chocolate running through somewhere in the facility, kind of like Willy Wonka? Um, is there any like, is it is it greater than zero? Is on my question.
1: It's a hundred percent. You're going. We're, we we uh, that's going to be our we call it our chocolate river pipe. But hmm. in essence, uh, when we're talking about efficiencies. Um, uh, and we basically have that chocolate pipe, many many uh, companies are very interested because of what, of what that could basically mean, where you don't need uh, thousands of boats and cars and vehicles transporting it from all over. You don't have the massive amounts of pollution where you could grow it locally, sustainably, uh, is is sort of this vision of the world of what we want, want to build, where the things we love don't, don't have, don't have to be made by a little kid in the middle of the jungle, uh, to make us happy and for a price that we think is, 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 is a steal. So, uh, that's sort of maybe that, that big future vision of, of, of what, of what food is, uh, we commit and, and if we could achieve that vision, uh, and, and significantly reduce the deforestation and the slavery that comes out of the current processes, we could think our, our, our mission would be accomplished.
0: Yeah, um, I, I would agree. That'd be a, a great vision achieved. So so far, I keep thinking like, what are the downsides? What are the downsides? What are the downsides? With, with animal cell um, so like, ag, there's like, oh, I guess you have to like harm an animal, but like no, nothing seems to be harmed with this type of system we're talking about like there doesn't really seem to be a downside there's no i I haven't heard anything about pollutions they have to be concerned about there's like inputs, so it's just like making sure those things are sourced appropriately and that they're coming in the right quality are there downsides here that you're seeing or like technical hurdles i I think those might be two separate things like a downside isn't a technical hurdle per se but are there downsides here that people just don't normally think about because so far it just seems like it's pretty good this makes sense we should be doing this like there's nothing like it creates plutonium and you know and the
1: environment or something like there's nothing like that So the main reason, I I, I guess if you jump back in history, Mm -hmm. uh, you could understand why things happened and why things didn't happen, you know, um, like, for instance, uh, uh, like, why are Americans more coffee drinkers than tea drinkers? Obviously, you know, because we uh, from the the revolution, but but uh, why is England more tea drinkers? than coffee drinkers mostly, uh, and, and, and that's another question. Oh, because the West, the West, uh, 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 some of these giant corporations, uh, the West Indies Trading Company had a monopoly on tea and it was soup- much simpler to grow than coffee and they owned all the shipping lines and roiled and it was much easier to make, just put some water in uh, and royalty love tea. so. Make make sure that you say oh royalty drinks it make it dirt cheap super easy better tasting and uh, and all these factors come into play of why of why something happens so maybe jumping into maybe thinking about downsides of this plant cell culture technology in the 1990s uh, there was this big there was maybe the big push of biomanufacturing. They had some big wins within Genentech made insulin in the early 80s. There were different biotech companies trying to use this for food, for ingredients. And the first uh, food or food processing aid was rennet, which came Mm -hmm. from cows. And they were thinking for a while, what organism should we use? And it just so happened that they had E. coli. So, all right, we have it it's closest to market, we know what we're doing, so let's just go and use it. At the same time, plant cell culture uh, also started to come on the scene, but the amount of, I would say, scientific work on it uh, uh, mostly came from the tobacco industry, whereas the work on E. coli and uh, maybe yeast, came from the pharmaceutical and, and, and some other, uh, other industries. So I would basically think there was a lot more money first on these microbes first to get them to scale up. And they sort of, uh, won the de facto scale and war, which was based on knowledge, which was based on momentum and based on price. But Mm -hmm. now, uh, there's 30 years of advancements of all these new tools and knowledge and processes in place. So we think uh, there's a lot more knowledge on plant systems today. We see how clean they are. We see now even the downsides, for instance, of microbial fermentation. There's a lot of waste. There's a lot of uh, 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 excess uh, products that have to be disposed of properly. And there's a lot of downstream work as well to uh, separate your product of interest from the rest of, of the biomass altogether. So the, as time went on, there were more and more benefits being seen for plant cell culture. But in essence, it's just no one has really scaled this up in the levels needed to show that there isn't any considerable downsides. There's maybe been a handful of examples in the world, but they were basically also using some similar process where you only could get one single compound from a cell and they also had to waste a lot. With our technology, uh, we can basically use 99.9% of all the mass we come out with all of our media that we go that goes into our system is all food safe. So uh, that's another downstream benefit that we could use it for multiple different purposes as well. So we have a pretty um, circular path. and we honestly see at the end of the day, it's one of the, the best processes we think to manufacture, many foods and, and materials in the future as well. Since it's going to be plant tissue, it, it's pretty robust. P- uh, consumers are more accepting of it because people grow plants everywhere and they're used mm-hmm. to cutting cutting little yeah. pieces of plant and dividing and, and growing a million different versions of it. People cook with it every day. So we're all used to manipulating plants in, diff- in different aspects. And they have all these amazing properties that we're still learning and trying to sort of control but but what we see what we're doing is the next step of agriculture. It, 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 it has to be a lot more efficient. It has to be a lot more local and it, and we have to understand how to eliminate all these other downsides like uh, the efficiency of growing things is, is really bad and how could you in, improve it?
0: Mm-hmm yeah um it's almost like a re-domestication of plants like um it almost yep. feels like that there's like one layer that we've we've done we've got it down you know well well to the point where it's like like the starting to have problems and now you're, you're coming in and uh, there's new domestication on the molecular level on the cellular level um it's an exciting time i it's like if we can if nothing bad happens like we don't get hit by a meteor or something in the next like 40 years like, i feel like we're gonna have a really robust system and it might be a really great time to be alive. Um, even with like all the stuff happening in like China and Russia and stuff, hopefully like no one nukes anyone, but, uh, <laughs> but it sounds like it might be a really cool couple of decades. Are there, um, it will be, are there any books you recommend people check out? Know if we saw it doesn't have to be sort of articles related, but anything you're reading that either currently or that you've gifted to anyone that you check uh, recommend.
1: Well, if if you want to talk about um, redistribution of globalization and oil and resources, I like, uh, Peter Zion had, had, had yeah. a new book. The end. The yeah, end I'm reading that day. guy. Oh, yes. perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's the um, guy I was referring
0: I'm, to. Yes, yeah. he's great.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a uh, great, great guy. Um, had been trying, trying to combine aspects of agriculture, engineering, supply chains all together. Um, I'm also um, uh, uh, uh let's see you know noah harari uh obviously understanding you know the evolution and and uh uh of of humans and technology understanding the role of how caffeine uh of of how sort of caffeine played in world history was mm-hmm. sort of also That's fascinating. Um, yeah, you know, it was my uh, was understanding uh uh for most of human history just people were too drunk or or stoned or or semi Dysentery. to really yeah to, to really concentrate or tackle big problems yeah. evidently it's when we have caffeine in our uh, circulating in our bloodstream is, is when we could evidently tackle complex and difficult problems so it it, it seemed it, it motivates us more and and uh, uh we just we just need to grow tons of caffeine and chocolate and coffee to to solve the next uh, thousand years of problems. If I bet you anything, for us to solve, you know, uh, from from infinite energy to infinite food to pollution and homelessness and, and colonization is all going to start from someone drinking their morning cup of coffee or uh, or 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 feeling good after their experiment didn't work with uh, with their chocolate bar. And and we think maybe these two things are going to help a lot of people. Through their ups and downs of building the next the next phase of humanity, and that's how I like to think about it.
0: Yeah, it, it could it could literally be a chocolate bar. They have like a little bio manufacturer thing, and they can <laughs> make their own chocolate. Um, you have a newsletter. Is there are there other good ways to stay up to date with what's going on?
1: Oh, we are on on LinkedIn, on Twitter, yeah. on uh, Instagram, and TikTok. So. We like to put out some like cool videos of, of some science and some chocolate making. We like to sort of tell sort of the story of like what's happening uh, in the world and and how chocolate and coffee can be so much better uh, compared to to what they are today. So we we want to like let uh, sort of let people in on our journey uh, and and showing w- what does it actually take to rebuild a whole industry. So, we'll, we'll love if you could subscribe, follow, and, uh, and, and be in touch.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And everyone, uh, don't worry if you didn't catch that. The stuff's in the show notes, it will be there. Uh, and so, since it's a learning, you know, learn with LOL, uh, I always like to, I'm always curious what people are learning about. Like, what are you currently in a state of like, I don't know about it? You know, you can kind of see that like that hill of ignorance and you're like scaling it right now. What's, what's that hill you're going through right now?
1: uh that would be of uh, I really got into this interesting tech tool uh called the flipper zero if you've ever heard of it so it's a uh, it's security testing so mm. it's it's this it's this little tool that that some uh engineers put together based upon something that came out uh, a couple of years ago called a where people hacked a, a Tamagotchi from the 90s mm. to use it as a hacking tool. But mm. I sort of loved the ability to sort of understand what's around you because you have so many different signals and noises uh, and uh, uh, and and different uh, things all around you all this time. And you never really know what's around there and this little like handheld device allows you to probe into subnetwork uh things what's open what's closed who, who and uh, uh, and sort of playing around with it to understand of, of 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 things we see and things we don't see and and I've I've sort of became a little fascinated about pen testing yeah mm-hmm. so that that's when I'm I'm sort of uh, diving down the crazy rabbit hole in right now,
0: sweet. And then, um, no, actually, that's all my questions. So I'll just end the. the well, I, I guess I could ask this Is there anything, um, and I can just delete this off? There's nothing. Um, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get covered? I feel like we jumped into a lot of things, but sometimes I, I, I don't get to everything that's like you have to discuss.
1: Ooh, um, I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, obviously, it tastes good. Um, uh, by the way, did you happen to get any chocolate yet? Okay. No, I didn't We're, know that was an option. We, that is an option. <laughs> would you be Would you be okay tasting it and giving like your own feedback as well uh, on, sure. on 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 the as podcast? No, it doesn't. No, we 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 just demonstrated our chocolate for two hundred and fifty investors in Zurich. So. Um, we got pretty good pretty good feedback so love love to share and if you're mm. if you're open to try and giving some feedback would we, would we we'd appreciate that
0: do you, um are you also looking for like the public like a sign up like hey do you guys want to be a part of like a beta testing
1: or do you have something oh, yeah. like that going on we we're we're getting ready for 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 uh for actually a demo kit so we could actually mm. send out different types of chocolate that we're making and and getting people to judge them and give us some feedback of what people like, what, what, what people don't want, or uh, even crazy suggestions as well.
0: Yeah. It, where would people go to sign up for that? And how many people are you looking for?
1: Um, the, our, the instructions most likely will be on our website, mm-hmm. caculture.com, uh, within the next two to three months for that. And we'll have all the information on our website.
0: Thank you for joining us today with the Learn with Lowell show. Check us out at learnwithlowell.com. Anywhere podcast can be found. Subscribe. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. That's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, Timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.